0: This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. We're back in Washington, D.C. and coming to you a bit early this week as we look forward to the first international trip by Pope Francis. The Argentine Pope will be headed to Brazil next week for World Youth Day festivities will devote most of the program to the Pope's upcoming trip. But first, Kurt Devine is here with this week's review of news from around Latin America.
1: The Cuban government admitted ownership of weapons found aboard a North Korean ship that Panamanian authorities stopped before it entered the Panama Canal. The ship was carrying arms from Cuba, such as missile parts and aircraft equipment, for repair in North Korea. Cuban authorities say the weapons are obsolete, but some analysts say they could be used to upgrade modern air warfare systems. Panamanian drug police found the weapons buried under sacks of sugar. United Nations sanctions prohibit the transfer of weapons to North Korea in an effort to deter its nuclear program. Spokesperson for the U.S. State Department, Patrick Ventrell, outlines the violation.
0: Any shipment of arms uh, or related material would violate U.N. Security Council resolution's 1718, 1874, and 2094.
1: Cuba released a statement reaffirming its commitment to nuclear disarmament and international peace. Despite the news of Cuba's weapons shipment to North Korea, diplomats from the United States and Cuba held immigration talks in Washington. The discussion focused on migration accords, striving to promote safe and legal migration between the nations. U.S. officials pressed for the release of imprisoned American contractor Alan Gross, who is serving a 15-year sentence in Cuba for installing Internet technologies. The last discussions between the U.S. and Cuba on migration were held in Havana in January of 2011.
2: <laughs>
1: Members of Colombia's second-largest rebel group laid down their arms this week. Colombia's President Juan Manuel Santos met with about 30 rebels from the ELN, or National Liberation Army. The surrendered members expressed desire to help with negotiations between the government and the much larger FARC rebel group. President Santos said this is the biggest step the 1,500-member ELN group has taken toward peace. Mexican security forces arrested one of the nation's most powerful drug cartel leaders, Miguel Angel Trevino Morales, known as Z-40, led the violent Zetas drug cartel. Two Mexican Marines captured him outside the border town of Nuevo Laredo while he drove a pickup truck with two million dollars and eight guns inside. Mexican government secretary Eduardo Sanchez describes the charges against Trevino. Está acusado delincuencia organizada, homicidio. He's charged with organized crime, homicide, health crimes, torture, money laundering, possession of firearms for military use only. Trevino was notorious for pouring gasoline on his victims and burning them alive. His capture could lead to a wave of violence as other cartel members fight to succeed him, but it marks the highest profile arrest since President Enrique Peña Nieto took office in December of 2012. Trevino's predecessor and former leader of the Zetas cartel, Roberto Lasgano, was killed in October of last year. Afterward, cartel members broke into a funeral home and stole his body from authorities. A shift in Chilean politics this week. Chile's conservative presidential candidate, Pablo Languiera, withdrew from the campaign due to depression, Languiera's son, Juan Pablo, said his physical health deteriorated after the primary election as a result of medically diagnosed depression. The frontrunner for the presidency is now former president and Socialist Party leader Michelle Bachelet. With Languiera's resignation, political analysts say the governing conservatives have a much weaker chance of winning the upcoming November election. For Latin Pulse, I'm Kurt Devine.
0: Thanks, Kurt. This week we've invited several experts on Catholicism back to the program to give us a preview of Pope Francis's first papal trip and his return to Latin America. Tom Quigley, formerly of the National Conference of Catholic Bishops in the U.S., has participated in a variety of papal trips. We heard his views via phone line from Virginia.
2: Almost everything that Pope Francis does is new. He doesn't fit into the mold of previous popes, and uh, his own Tripping his own visit to a, a foreign country would be his first first international trip. And uh, incidentally, I should mention that he's known for not liking travel. When he was Archbishop of Buenos Aires, he went to Rome only when he was was absolutely necessary. He's not one who loved to pop across the ocean like some bishops do. So he's uh, he's going there partly because it was required by his predecessor, Benedict. 16th at the last World Youth Day, which was in Spain, in Madrid, <clears throat> uh, said he looked forward very much to going to Rio in 2013. But uh, that uh, his constitution simply gave out. He just wasn't able to travel. I remember we talked about his visit to Mexico and, and uh, Cuba last year. <clears throat> and at the end of that, he was really worn out, and they, his doctors advised him to take no more trips. So he didn't, and he finally uh, abdicated in February of this year. So Francis is, in a sense, fulfilling a commitment made by Benedict, but he would go anyway. But I think what's interesting and important is that uh, his presence in, in his hemisphere, that is, he's from Argentina, coming back to the Western Hemisphere, <clears throat> how he reacts and, and acts and says and so on, what he does there will be watched very carefully by media and, and certainly by people in the church. So it's important, as any World Youth Day has its own importance, that is, it brings together hundreds of thousands of young people, and that's been a, a, a success more or less over the last uh, almost 30 years. It began in 84 under John Paul II. Every couple, of two or three years, these, they have these meetings in different parts of the world and hundreds of thousands of young people come together, and they really make it of what uh, John Allen, a journalist called a the, the Catholic Lollapalooza. <clears throat> it's a big get-together, and uh, I think most most of the people who attend it, who call themselves pilgrims, uh, find it a very moving and even life-changing experience. The going to Brazil has a new qual- uh, characteristic to it this time because of the protests that began mostly in June. It began even earlier than that, but especially last month. June was a terrible time in Brazil. Uh, some people were killed, lots of damage of property, and certainly a lot of economic loss in terms of uh, goods and services being curtailed. But um, that's largely abated, and I think the general view is that it's going to be okay. The Archbishop of Rio recently said that he thought that the protesters and the pilgrims of the World Youth Day had similar... Uh, goals and visions. They wanted a new society. They wanted a new uh, a break in terms of the economic and political relationship to their governments. And they all oppose the corruption that is so endemic in Brazil today. So it's uh, it's going to be played out on a, on a world scale. Brazil will be very much back in the news in the next uh, week.
0: You've already pointed out the symbolism of the first Latin American pope making his first international trip back to Latin America. But Brazil itself uh, holds some significance here, too. Uh, if I'm not wrong, the largest population of Catholics of any country in the world now, and, and also a place where we see other religions encroaching on um, Catholicism as far as its popularity. And, and, and so uh, how important is, is this trip for that relationship?
2: Yeah. The, uh, I mean, it is the largest, uh, just in terms of numbers, numbers of, of uh, Catholics in the country, in the world, largest country. It's a huge country, of course, 90-some million people. <clears throat> but uh, one of the phenomena that's been commented on a lot over the last decade or so has been the encroachment of Pentecostal religions in, in Latin America generally, but in Brazil in particular. And that's certainly very true. It's a phenomenon that has uh, been noted all over the country. There's a uh, there's an interesting scholar, I think it's at Dartmouth, uh, Andrew Chestnut, who's done a lot of work on the Pentecostal movements, including what he calls the Catholic Pentecostals, the charismatic. And he declares that they are the largest and ra- most rapidly growing sector of the Brazilian population in terms of religious affiliation, these Catholic charismatics. So to some extent, some of the Pentecostals may be reverting to their traditional their ancestral ties with the Catholic Church.
0: We'll actually be hearing from Professor Chestnut later on this very program on that particular topic.
2: Excellent. Uh, Another thing about Brazil at this time, uh, it is the beginning place for Salem, that is the Latin American Conference of uh, Bishops council of bishops began in, in 1955 with a meeting of the Eucharistic Congress in Rio, and then the formation of the, of Salem, the, the Consejo Latinoamericano, the, the Consejo Episcopal de Latinoamericana. And the beginnings of the human rights movement, and, and as I see it from this country, began in the 1950s with what was happening in Brazil. Brazil was a was a terrible uh, military dictatorship was great human rights abuses, and it was the church in Brazil, particularly in places like Rio and Sao Paulo, that rose up very strongly against the uh, the generals. So Brazil has a history of, uh, in the church of uh, being a, a leader, having moved things farther and faster than, than elsewhere.
0: Well, let me ask you about um, some of what Pope Francis has done in these first few months of his mm-hmm. papacy. Uh, we we see him in recent weeks uh naming new saints naming pope john the 23rd and and also pope john paul the 2nd as as saints uh, i know the official ceremony won't happen until december but but this also brings a certain excitement to his trip that wasn't there before does it not
2: um i think almost everything that pope francis does brings a certain excitement but on the question of the, of uh, he broke tradition by uh, calling for the canonization of John 23rd without the requisite second miracle. And that's a beautiful pairing of John 23rd and John Paul II, one seen by um, uh, traditionalists, Catholics, uh, as uh, the person who brought about the disaster of the Second Vatican Council, that is to say John 23rd, and by progressive Catholics being the man who led the Church into the... 20th, 21st century, and, and has really reformed the church greatly, and uh, the, the, vice versa for John Paul II. So his uh, his initiat- initiatives are, are always to be uh, watched carefully. He went, to, he made his first trip outside of Rome to Lampedusa, which is a little island off of Sicily, and it's a place that's a stepping-off point for people from North Africa trying to get into Europe, and they get over to Lampedusa, and then they get up to Sicily and up to Italy and so on. Uh, and he made that a, a liturgy of repentance, and uh, he, he dressed in very simple vestments, and he used a wooden chalice and a wooden crozier, his, his staff made from the wood of boats that had landed in Lampedusa from North Africa, but had been you know, people had been died the, on the way. So his reaching out, his first trip outside of the city was, to a symbolically important point of uh, stressing the whole thing of the immigration that goes on throughout all the world, um, is going to... Uh, or another thing that, that's interesting about John Paul and following up on Pope Benedict, Pope Benedict gave him the, the requirement, in a sense, of going to the World Youth Day, but also John Paul, just a couple of weeks ago, finished the uh, his first encyclical.
0: You mean Pope Francis?
2: Pope, I'm sorry, Pope Francis. And... Uh, lumen uh, fide, life of faith. And it was an encyclical begun by Benedict XVI and almost finished, but not. And so Francis took over the completion of that encyclical. It's written under his name, but in fact, as the scholars who read these things and know about them in ways that I do not, uh, indicate that it is very much Benedict's encyclical with a certain twist by Francis. But it's his first encyclical, and he has done... He's now, by going to Brazil, following up on the second requirement or second uh, IOU given by uh, Pope Benedict that uh, Francis will complete.
0: What else do we need to consider as we look forward to his trip next week?
2: I think about Francis, though, that might be worth thinking about is, why is he doing so much so soon, so quickly? And uh, Kevin Irwin who's a friend of mine, teaches at Catholic University, said that uh, the clock is ticking. He's only got one lung. And so he says, you know, basically, you better do it now, says Kevin, um, because uh, that's sort of the reason why the Pope is so busy at this time.
0: He also, I think, needs to set a different tone. He He's asked for um, the Church to be less corrupt, frankly.
2: No, absolutely. no Corruption, I mean, he's gone after the... The famous Vatican Bank question, and, and that's being cleaned up, I think, uh, as we speak. Whether they may even do away with it is another question. But also the, uh, I mean, the Vatican is a huge bureaucracy, just massive, and uh, a lot of people are not quite nice people, and uh, some of them have taken advantage of their position to uh, enrich themselves. And so he's coming on with a more, much more vigor than his predecessor ever did have. It didn't I don't think it have occurred particularly to Pope Benedict to look too carefully and too harshly at uh, some of the mis- missteps going on in, in parts of the Vatican bureaucracy. So Francis seems determined to do that, and he's appointed this committee of, of eight, now nine, cardinals that will advise him. And uh, Cardinal Sean O'Malley of Boston is, is one of those, and Cardinal uh, Oscar Rodriguez Maradiaga from Honduras is the coordinator of that thing. And Rodriguez is a He's a, he bounces, and he's, uh, he's going get, to get at things. He's a very lively man. I know him very well, and I think he's going to uh, lead some of that, uh, those efforts to really clean out things and see that things get back on the right track. So there's a lot of things happening in a very short period of time without a lot of uh, going through a lot of bureauc- bureaucratic steps. He just simply says, I'm the both so we'll, we'll do these things. And uh, it's very refreshing to see this for
0: me. He's, he's actually acting like a pope.
2: He's, as somebody said, he popes very well.
0: <laughs> well, thank you. Tom Quigley, formerly of the National Conference of Catholic Bishops, our guest today on Latin Pulse. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you, Rick. And just a clarification. Brazil's government estimates its current population at about 197 million people. In the 2010 census, of the population identified themselves as Catholics. We'll have more on the Pope's upcoming Brazilian journey in a moment. Stay with us.
1: A man is found guilty of trafficking Brazilian women to the UK to make them work as prostitutes. The head of an international trafficking network is jailed in Romania, and three people are sent to prison in America for operating a Mexican baby smuggling ring. Human traffickers trick and deceive their victims, but by joining forces we can bring these criminals to justice. Support the United Nations Global Initiative to Fight Human Trafficking, ungift.org.
0: Welcome back to Latin Pulse. Professor Andrew Chestnut of Virginia Commonwealth University will be in Brazil for the Pope's visit. We reached him via Skype in Virginia before his travels. Here are excerpts from our discussion.
3: Brazil really is probably the most cru- crucial country for the future of global Catholicism. I could even expand that and say global Christianity. Uh, I think we all know by this point it is home to the largest Catholic population on earth. However, that per- the percentage of the uh, population in Brazil that's Catholic is – been plummeting get this in 1970 as recent as four decades ago some 90 percent of brazilians were catholic that figure is down to 63 percent today while the protestant percentage of the population has grown from just one percent in the 1940s to some 23 percent today and so uh the, uh, the Vatican and the, the Catholic Church in general is just extremely worried about what's happening in Brazil and Latin America in general, which is home to some 43% of global Catholics. And so Brazil really is the most important country for the future of the global church. Uh, World Youth Day happens to be in Brazil. And uh, one of the, uh, the actual motto. Our theme of World Youth Day is, uh, is go forth and uh, evangelize. And so the real target of evangelization uh, under Pope Francis are, are poor youth. And so this kind of perfectly jibes with the focus on evangelization or his program of new evangelization, particularly in Latin America, where poor youth and poor women in general have been exiting the uh, Catholic Church and Mass. Uh, since the 1950s.
0: So this trip is more or less one uh, that reflects competition, religious competition.
3: Exactly. Obviously, obviously, the Pope and the Vatican wouldn't frame it in that terms, but uh, yes, it, it, it's a competitive religious marketplace. Uh, in Brazil and and most of Latin America. And uh, that's why I would argue and have argued is the primary reason that we see our first New World Pope, or more specifically, our first Latin American Pope, because of the hemorrhaging of members from the Latin American Church.
0: Why have we seen this expansion of evangelical Protestantism, not just in Brazil, but all through Latin America, Central America, too?
3: Ah, I actually wrote a book on that, my first book, Born Again in Brazil, looking at uh, the Pentecostal boom in Brazil. Um, It's interesting. I think there's there's some really interesting cultural connections that Pentecostals have been able to make in Brazil and throughout Latin America in the space of just five or six decades to a greater extent than Catholicism has over the last – five centuries or so. And I, I think the emphasis on on faith healing and also the emphasis on the role of, of the Holy Spirit and the very dynamic animated religious services that they offer really resonate uh, with, with the Latin American popular classes much more than the very kind of traditional staid uh, European, heavily European-influenced um, Catholic mass. However, and I'm probably um, anticipating one of your next questions, however, today in Brazil and throughout much of Latin America, the most dynamic movement within the Catholic Church is the Catholic Charismatic Renewal, which is basically the Catholic version of Pentecostalism.
0: And do you see that the new pope is going to be bolstering that during his trip?
3: Yeah, I think, I think he will be, but in, in subtle ways. Um, there's still a lot of uh, rivalries and competition within the church. Um, the Catholic Charismatics are contemporaneous with liberation theology, both basically uh, taking off in the late 1960s and early 1970s. And today, some four decades later, the Catholic Charismatics really have eclipsed liberation theology, for which for all intents and purposes is, is essentially moribund. However, there's still a fair amount of, uh, of uh, members of the church hierarchy who have liberationist sympathies and such. And so um, specific backing and specific pronouncements in favor of the Catholic charismatics usually aren't made at the Vatican level. However, the fact that all Latin American national bishops' conferences approve the charismatic renewal within this space of 15 years. It arrives to Latin America in the early 70s, and Brazil is the last country, the, the Catholic Conference of Bishops in Brazil is the last, uh, last one to approve it in 1986. And so getting official approval for this new movement within the space of a decade and a half is just lightning pace. For the Vatican,
0: and apparently that's what it's going to take to be competitive in this, uh, in both the Brazilian context and in the Latin American context. If this is if this is really a battle for spirituality, attention, and souls,
3: exactly, exactly. So, so in a a recent uh, Huffington Post, I I made the point that I think it's become apparent that Pope Francis is kind of resurrecting this idea of a preferential option for the poor, but obviously not under the framework or rubric of liberation theology, since he really was no partisan of liberation theology uh, during his time in in Argentina. However, it will be a preferential option for the poor in conjunction with a preferential option for the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So the focus will be on evangelizing the poor, but the foot soldiers of this new evangelization will be the Catholic charismatics, who pretty much run all Catholic uh, mass media, that uh, that operates in Latin America.
0: We see that this pope is full of surprises and it's very difficult to to predict what he will do but he's noted already for his honesty and his, his down to earth mannerisms. What do you think may we may see in that regard during this particular trip?
3: Uh, I think, <laughs> yeah, I think giving his kind of impromptu and improvisational improvisational style, we won't necessarily be able to predict. But yeah, I think we'll see a lot of hands-on interaction with, uh, with uh, everyday Brazilians. In fact, he's going to uh, spend some time in one of the favelas or slums of Rio de Janeiro. And uh, I expect that uh, the fervor uh and the enthusiasm for him will be uh much greater in brazil than uh than we saw for his uh predecessor Uh, Benedict. So uh, it'll be really interesting, too, because, of course, a lot of Brazilian Catholics were hoping that one of their own cardinals would be elected pope. And we all know that there's a long history of rivalry on many fronts between neighbors, Argentina and Brazil. Nonetheless, I expect a very, very enthusiastic, warm welcome on the part of uh, Brazilians.
0: There have been all of these recent scandals breaking uh, around the Vatican that precede Pope Francis. Is is this trip also a, a way to get away from these scandals?
3: Uh, yeah, I don't think it—I mean, it, it was planned months in advance, in fact, before he even became Pope, so— um that wasn't the the design of it, but yeah, obviously leaving the Vatican for a while takes the focus off uh some of the scandals and some of the intrigue that happens at the Vatican, no doubt, but yeah that's that wasn't the design or intent of this trip, which is planned before he became pope
0: and what about the continued Vatican corruption scandal is Is this something that's going to weigh this pope down or but the fact that he's willing to talk off the cuff about it? Signal that that there are going to be some administrative changes.
3: Yeah, I, I think I think we are going to see some important administrative changes. Uh, bear in mind, he's only been there for a few months, so the jury's still out. Um, he recently appointed a kind of advisory group of eight leading cardinals from around the world, including uh, Rodriguez uh, Maradiaga from Honduras. Uh, and many of these people are known for their integrity, weren't involved in uh, sex abuse scandals in their own countries. So uh, so while I've got no crystal ball, I'm optimistic that we will be headed in the direction of reform uh, in the near future.
0: Very recently that the Pope, in um, some discussions with Latin American bishops, has acknowledged corruption in the Vatican, which is more than his predecessor was openly willing to do.
3: Yeah, yeah, in fact, uh, you're probably alluding to uh, reports that surfaced just recently uh, in which he was talking kind of off the cuff with um, Latin American clerics in which he apparently admitted for the first time the presence of the so-called gay lobby at the uh, at the Vatican, more specifically within the curia.
0: What else should our listeners be thinking about regarding this trip?
3: I think what's really interesting here, too, is is just the grand importance of Latin America on the global scale. I mean, for so long, particularly in the 20th century, uh, Latin America just did not have the proportionate representation at the Vatican that its sheer numbers deserved. And so, so for me as a Latin Americanist, it's just really thrilling to see this new Latin American influence, because in a way, really, the number two, probably the number two most influential cleric is is, uh, Honduran Cardinal uh, Maradiaga. Uh, So we've got a Honduran and an Argentine there, and uh, this is just fascinating times to be watching the Christian landscape in, in Latin America.
0: Thank you very much, Professor Andrew Chestnut of Virginia Commonwealth University, our guest today on Latin Pulse, joining us via Skype.
3: Thanks for having me again, Rick.
0: Latin Pulse is available in various locations on the web, including iTunes, Facebook, Henteflow, and MusicaQ. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, .org, and then forward slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org forward slash Latin Pulse. If you'd like to respond to this week's program, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you may write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse at gmx.com. That's Latinpulse, all one word, at gmx.com. Thanks for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For our entire team, associate producer Kurt Devine and announcer Victor Kilo, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escucho nos otra vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is sponsored by the Center for Latin American and Latino Studies at American University. The program is produced at the University's School of Communication with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV with additional music from Canary Productions and Bathtime Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2013 Las Rocas Productions.